Please be seated and good morning. Let me begin by asking you to raise your hand if you find yourself at least a little bit anxious this morning. Some of you wouldn't raise your hand if I stood on my head, would you? <laughs> From a purely earthly and natural standpoint, I would suggest that you are either anxious about the state of our nation and of the world and even of the church, or maybe you're just not paying enough attention. But that's precisely why, while being informed, concerned, and prudent about our earthly affairs, we need to remind ourselves continually of one foundational truth as faithful Catholics, as faithful Christians. And that truth is that both on a personal and societal level, we do not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And while to some that may sound like trite escapism, to those who hold to the unchanging truth of God, it is a bedrock reality. Thus, St. Paul admonishes us, echoing an exhortation repeated over and over again in the New Testament, have no anxiety about anything. In our epistle reading today from Philippians chapter 4, Paul actually expounds on three specific traits that should mark the outlook, the perspective of those who live their lives in the confidence of God's providential care and with their vision focused on eternity. And hopefully that's all of us here this morning. Here are the three, joy, forbearance, and peace. Joy, forbearance, and peace. If you're truly living your life in the confidence of God's providential care and with your vision focused on eternity, then your outlook on life, all of life, should be marked by joy, forbearance, and peace. First of all, Paul is pretty clear about his emphasis on Christian joy, isn't he? Verse 4 of Philippians 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul's not speaking casually here. He really means it. <clears throat> Joy for the Christian should never be some elusive optional attitude that's just kind of nice to have if you can get it, but if you can't, oh well. No, not at all. Joy is basic. It is part of the fabric of the authentic Christian life. One of the last things that Jesus told the apostles was, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may, be, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is named by St. Paul as the fruit of the Spirit right after love, the second fruit of the Spirit. And the entire New Testament is replete with other exhortations by Jesus, by Paul, by Peter, by James and John to rejoice, but always with a qualifier. And the qualifier declares the reason for our joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And of course, it all goes back to the announcement by the angel at Bethlehem to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, 
which will be to all people. What are these tidings of great joy that the angel brought? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And so that truth, the truth of the incarnation and all that resulted from it, should be the source of undaunted, unfailing, unending joy for the child of God. The Savior was born, died, rose again, and lives on and reigns in heaven, in the church, in our hearts, and on our altar. God became one with us, and even more importantly, He became one of us. And everything else, including everything that the world, the flesh, and the devil can assail us with, pales by comparison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And then as if citing a cause and effect relationship, Paul goes on to say this in verse 5. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Forbearance. That's how the RSV translates that word. But actually, this is the translation of a word that's not really easily translated from the original Greek. And so we have a, a variety of renderings of that word in various English translations. Some translate it as moderation. Some translate it as gentleness. But the word is best understood in the context of what immediately follows it. The Lord is at hand. In this context, then, I'd like to suggest a modern English word that I believe best expresses what Paul is communicating here and encompasses the sense of the, these various renderings of gentleness, moderation, forbearance, and so forth. The word I'd like to suggest is composure. Composure. Why composure? The dictionary defines composure as tranquility of mind. Again, it would seem that that is an accurate sense of verse 5, and again, with an important qualifier. Just as he qualified rejoice always by giving a reason for rejoicing, namely rejoice in the Lord, here Paul qualifies the need for holy composure in our lives by encouraging us to let our composure be known to all men. In other words, let that sense of inner tranquility that can be achieved only through living in an authentic relationship with the one true and living God in Christ, let it be evident in your life. Why? He gives a reason. Why can it be? Here's the qualifier. Because the Lord is at hand. So let me ask you a question here. If you had a clear and abiding sense that the Lord is at hand, is with you, next to you, at every moment, every, in every situation, in every circumstance of your life, good, bad, or indifferent, would you ever have any reason to be anything but composed and tranquil? No, you wouldn't. If you had a conscious awareness of Jesus being at hand every second of your life, nothing, nothing could disturb your composure. One of the reasons why it's a really good thing for us as 21st century Christians to read the stories of the martyrs is to get an understanding of just how powerful this holy composure can be. 
Many of those eyewitness accounts of Christians being fed to wild animals or crucified or put to the sword or burned at the stake are stories of utter peace and composure and even joy under the most trying of circumstances imaginable. Why? Because those martyrs considered it to be a supreme blessing to die for the one who died for them and also because they had a clear sense of the Lord's presence with them in the midst of their martyrdom. Think of Stephen, the first martyr, who even as the rocks were raining down upon his head, said this, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus in the midst of his martyrdom. Now, in the natural, I can't think of too many things that would destroy your composure more quickly than having an angry mob form a circle around you and begin stoning you to death. But Stephen had this evident sense of holy composure even as his body was being crushed and battered by the rocks. Why? What was it that allowed Stephen to remain perfectly composed and tranquil in the midst of this horrible attack? As we read the account of his martyrdom in Acts chapter 7, a couple of the things that we read are, that, are this. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, saw Jesus. He prayed to Jesus. He was intently focused on Jesus because the Lord was at hand for him. I doubt that Stephen even felt the blows. Now, it's likely that few, if any of us, will ever be blessed by an actual vision of the Lord in the midst of a crisis like that, but he is no less here for us than he was for St. Stephen. The Lord is at hand. Did he himself not promise us, I will never leave you nor forsake you? When ministering to people who are dying, I frequently encourage them to ask the Lord to give them a tangible, real awareness of his presence, an image, if you will, of him standing by their bedside, holding their hand, caressing their brow. We should foster that kind of understanding in our hearts in every circumstance of life, no matter how negative or scary it may be. The Lord is at hand. And so St. Paul can then say in verses 6 and 7, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, have no anxiety about anything. Anxiety, the bane of modern existence. As modern people, as 21st century people, we have even more ways and more reasons to be anxious because we have something that generations before us did not have. We have this thing called the news. Both the broadcast and internet variety, along with social media, 
And I don't mean to trivialize the seriousness of the issues of the day. They are deadly serious, of course. But in the midst of that, Paul says, have no anxiety about anything. And anxiety in the way Paul means it and the way that we most often experience it is that futile, frustrating, debilitating attempt to bear the burdens of life and especially the burdens of the future on our own without God. It's helpful to remind ourselves where St. Paul himself was when he wrote these words. He was in a Roman prison, not certain if he would live or die. This was one of several imprisonments and one of countless episodes in Paul's walk that could have created profound anxiety for him. But even from the bowels of a stinking, seemingly God-forsaken Roman dungeon, Paul is able to exhort us again with these words, have no, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not merely some pious platitude. This is real. This is real. For the true believer in Jesus Christ, these are words to live by. These are words of life. In everything, Paul says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul is offering to us here the serious business of bringing our lives under the Lordship of Christ, of acknowledging our total dependence on Him, of surrendering our lives into His hands to be used by Him, of remembering and celebrating what He has already done in our lives, of, of confessing our needs and dedicating our gifts, committing ourselves and all that we are to the advance of his king, advancement of His kingdom. So the way to be anxious for nothing then is to be prayerful in everything. Again, there's a cause and effect to what Paul is presenting here. One that we could validly say represents one of the fundamental promises of God's Word, and here it is. When we are anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we, re we let our requests be, be made known to God, there is an effect. Something happens. What is it that happens? Verse 7 again. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful image this is. The peace of God, the very antithesis of anxiety. The peace of God, something that should be so pervasive in the life of the believer as to even transcend our understanding of it. That's why Paul says the peace the peace of God that is beyond all understanding. That peace will guard, that is, it will stand and defend like a troop of heavily armed soldiers, will guard your heart, that is the seat of your will and emotions, and your mind, that is the seat of your intellect and understanding through Christ Jesus. And so in conclusion, 
In these few verses this morning, Paul gives us the antidote to fear. The anxiety, the depression, the malaise of life on planet Earth in 2021. It is God's abiding joy. It is God's holy composure. It is God's incomprehensible peace. They are ours for the asking. And so as I close this homily, I want to make this very personal. Because I realize that many of you are dealing with issues in your lives that are much closer to home than the global or societal ones that are in the news. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be the heartache of a broken relationship with someone you love. It could be a disabling or even life-threatening illness, your own or that of someone you love. A child or grandchild racing headlong down the path of rebellion and potential destruction. It could be grown children who have told you that you may not see your grandchildren because you're not vaccinated. Or any one of countless other stresses that life can dish out from time to time. My encouragement to you this morning is to take this passage to heart. It is more true, it is more true than the scariness of today's news. It is more true than the scariness of the things you may be going through personally. Why? Because it's the, the Word of God and because it represents God's perfect will for you. And so begin to live your life today in the confidence of God's providential care and with your vision focused on eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.